Okay. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for watching us. Uh, to be slightly strange today, we're broadcasting live to Nat's profile. And as you can see, Nat's not with me. That's because he was currently celebrating his friend Charlie's birthday. And Charlie, we hope you have an amazing, amazing time. I am, however, joined by the fabulous uh, Renate Hermes uh, to talk to us about self-care and the importance of self-care and mindfulness in leadership and Renati and I had an amazing conversation on Monday which I just can't wait to share with you guys because it's just truly insightful so Renate welcome and tell us a little bit about yourself and the beautiful setting for those of us that can really take pay attention to the bit behind you'll see the palm trees because tell yeah. us where you are make me feel <laughs> well Kimmel thank you so much for having me here and it's really a pleasure just to share these moments and conversations with you and, yeah, I'm very privileged and blessed. I'm sitting here, in fact, um, on a beautiful island in the Indian Ocean in the Maldives. And, um, yeah, surrounded by palm trees and the blue, 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 blue ocean. Um, I always say it's a natural wellness haven here. Um, well, I'm, um, as I've pointed out already, I'm the group spa director and wellness executive here at Junior Spa. We are one of the leading health wellness management companies in the Maldives. I'm here for a long, long time. And yeah, wellness is, is my, I would say, is my life, is my passion from very early stages on from university years back. Um, and yeah, so I'm in the in the happy business, sort of speak. And my passion is really to help people to be happy and well and healthy, and um, trying to do my part in this world to increase that for people, for businesses, for leaders. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to have this conversation here. Oh, me too. And we were chatting, weren't we, on on Monday about the importance of that self-care and making sure that, you know, as leaders, we we find the time to take care of ourselves, to enable us to be able to take care of our people. And sometimes that that can be a hard balance to find, can't it? Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think without going too much in the whole COVID uh, pandemic <laughs> discussion, which is already, I think, very settled and a lot of conversations are going on there. Um, but I see this, I see this on really on two levels, on a leadership level and as well on, on for example, we are in the health and wellness industry for the service providers. Um, for the frontliners, if there is not really, and I really say a paradigm shift within companies and cul company cultures to foster a co company culture that puts this really on the front burner, the well-being, a well-being, human-centered well-being culture that opens doors for both the, the employees in our case, wellness service bar, therapists and providers, but also on a leadership level. The, my saying is a little bit, you can't give what you don't have. So when this comes home, particular in the service industry. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's so true because actually, you know, we sometimes it can feel very selfish to be thinking about what do we need as individuals. But actually, if we're there to lead people or if we're there to serve people, we have to be able to be well ourselves, don't we? You know, if we're asking our people to go out there and provide amazing service and great well-being to our clients, but we're not providing that environment for them, there's going to be a disconnect, isn't there? So how do I provide amazing, amazing service to, to the end client if actually I feel overwhelmed and um, lacking in care myself? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And if I... And I, I appreciate that you mentioned this term selfish, that um, particularly I think this applies, be it for executives, for a leader, for, for department heads. There is this, and time is a, is a commodity. Time is a real issue in, in business and life. But sometimes I think maybe it's not. If we get our priorities right and really understand how, if that pillar of being well and health is falling apart and that we have all recently and still experiencing it, then all the rest falls apart too. So I, how can I sustain and develop a business, including my team and all what is part of it, if I don't live in a sustainable, self-supportive, nourishing, nurturing way, I, I don't know how to do this. So I think in some ways it's in fact common sense, but yet it's not the reality. No, and it's funny, isn't it? The one thing that I always think about common sense is it's not that common. And I include myself <laughs> massively in that space because I remember it was a couple of years ago now and I was um, looking after my little girl and I was um, doing my job for another company. So I was kind of the COO and I didn't really understand the importance of looking after myself. I was definitely in that camp of, um, well, I haven't got time and I'm just busy. And I remember catching a cold um, and everyone kept telling me how ill I was. And I was like, no, 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 don't be so ridiculous. I'm just a little bit older and I'm a single mum and I've got a big job. And you know what? Life, life just takes a little bit more time now than it did before. And this went on for a couple of weeks. And I'm ashamed to say I ended up in intensive care with double lung pneumonia, at which point I had to admit to my boss that my little cold was actually slightly more than a sniffle. But it was it was that thing. It took that trauma for me to realise that actually, whilst I was desperately trying to do the right thing, while I was trying to be there for everybody, I actually ended up being there for nobody. You know, I couldn't do my job for three days because I was strapped to every machine known to man I couldn't look after my little girl you know she'd never done more than one night away from me and she had to do three nights while with my parents whilst you know I got off intensive care and, and was able to be discharged and it was the real eye-opener to me that actually I needed to change the dialogue that I had because the dialogue that I had was anything I did for me was selfish um and that I should be putting my daughter and my team first. And, and I should, but I hadn't realised that without putting myself into that equation, I was inadvertently ensuring that they never got me because I couldn't be there to do it. But I appreciate what you just said. For example, just the word shoulds. I mean, how many shoulds do we have? And the, I mean, the absurdity, if we think about it, 
we need a trauma first. We need to hit bottom first in order to understand, hey, hello, it's time to do something for ourselves. This is, and this is so contrary to a really a well-being approach. Wellness from its very early stages, this goes back to Hippocrates, yeah. has preventative approach. It's really about prevention. And if I, as a business leader, don't get that, I mean, I know it's easy talk often, but I think we really need a new culture around this, no? an awakening of leaders to understand, hey, I'm leading into a new era of, of also how we do business, no? how we run companies. Absolutely. I, no, I completely agree. And, and you know, I definitely was in the camp of do as I say, not do as I do. So I would very much be the person that was like, when you're on holiday, I want you to be on holiday, I want you to switch off, I want you to not do any of these things. But the minute I was on holiday, I was like, oh, I'll just check in, I'll just check my emails, I'll just check this, I'll just check the other. So inadvertently, people think, well, she doesn't really mean I want to be on holiday, I should be on holiday, because that's not what she does. So I need to be like her too. And it was like, no, I don't want you to follow my footsteps, they're really bad footsteps. So you suddenly realize that actually you create your culture. Yeah. So it's not just what we say, it's what we do. And therefore, if we don't start mm -hmm. to live the culture that we want to demonstrate to others, hey, Nat, um, then we aren't going to be able to build a sustainable culture for our people to be able to not just thrive, but not, sorry, not just survive, but thrive, isn't it? But right. to really step into their full potential. So the question, obviously, I think, which comes comes at all. Okay, so how, what do we do? How can we how can we achieve that? No, and um, Kimale, you mentioned before mindset, and I think this is. Um, I mean, we all now in this industry, we know how important mindsets are, no? and still we know it, and why we don't do it. So. Um, But I came across really the other day, I was had a, I had a conversation with someone and yeah, I know I should, but how do I start? And it's a typical um, dilemma. And we talked, in fact, about the idea of gamification of tiny steps. I love that. I love that. I start with tiny baby steps. And if I really, if I do it then, well, I gratify myself. I... I maybe have a nice little book and, and a journal. I put a little sticker in there. Something that creates fun along the way. I mean, change is always messy. We all, no one really likes change. And implementing new steps and new habits is part of it. But making it, literally turning it into a self-perpetuating game that keeps up keeps us on the go might be an option might be a help no i mean it may not work for everyone no i love that though because if you can just take sometimes if we can divert our mind from the problem to actually some form of solution we used to do it years ago with objection handling so obviously you start talking about objection handling people are like, oh i can't do objections so we'd say to them right what would you do go away and, and do this role play this objection but i need you to get in there The name of a vegetable and they'd be like what <laughs> like so something like um <laughs> let's suggest 
um, that we could do this for you. If you could, if you could sign that for me and return it tomorrow, I can, I can do that for you, please. Um, I said, so all of a sudden, like, but they're so focused on getting the vegetable word in there that they've actually solved the problem because their mind isn't focused on the problem. It's focused on a different solution. And yeah. gamification piece could really work with that. Sometimes we have to trick our subconscious into not seeing the, the problem, don't we? Absolutely. And it, it goes also down to, okay, neuroscience, neuroplasticity, now how do we form and create new neuropathways that support new lifestyles or new habits, new um, ways of living? It, it doesn't come on a just clicking and um, now I'm, I'm living a self-care based lifestyle. So it requires process and I think there are different tools to employ for it. But also, what I, and like what you said, it's also when our mind gets focused and hooked into this one sort of rabbit hole and ruminating thought, do something crazy to, to pull yourself out of it, no? So, so true. And, and like Izzy said, you know, sometimes we need to change the perspective that we've got about ourselves to be able to really start changing the mindset. And that can be quite difficult. You know, one of the things I always do, if I remember doing big change, I say to people, do me a favor, stand up. And either depends if they've got jackets, if you've got jackets on, take it off and then put it back on again. Or if you haven't just cross your arms for me, because we've all got a way of crossing them. And the minute they've done them, I'll go, right, do me a favor, uncross them and cross them the other way. And you see yeah. going like, Oh, so I can cross them dead easily. The way it's like this is this is like really uncomfortable. It's really difficult, and it's like that is change, and it's because we we do one on autopilot, and when we have to do the other one, we've got to really think about it. We've got to really engage, it. and that's what makes it challenging. It makes it difficult. It feels odd, doesn't it? Because you're like, I always sit like this, and now I've got to sit like that. Like um, this is, yeah. Sorry. No, no, so I was just going to say, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing, though, isn't it? It's that how do we how do we get ourselves out of that comfort zone and keep going until the uncomfortable becomes comfortable? Because it's it's about creating a new habit, isn't it? It's creating a new habit. And you mentioned just now autopilot. Um, and this is in the very beginning, in the introduction, you gratefully you mentioned the aspect of mindfulness and i think this is where really also a mindfulness approach or mindful way of living in fact comes in i cannot change what i'm not aware of and mindfulness there's so much said about and written about and and published about but fundamentally i like to say mindfulness is simply awareness and it leads to a reflective inquiry about my own thinking process. Um, there is this, I believe, misperception that, for example, if I do a meditative practice, I sit on a cushion and don't and, and stop thinking. I mean, that's not in the mindfulness tradition. I go in there with an inquire, inquisitive mind, in fact. With that, I become aware, really, of what's going on. And I think to help ourselves to go from that autopilot into a self-directed way of moving, going, living, being requires a level of awareness. And, yeah. 
So I was just going to say that's such a great um, description of mindfulness because I used to think I was really, really bad at mindfulness and meditation because I couldn't switch my mind off. And I'd be in there going, oh, you're not supposed to be thinking. You're not supposed to be thinking until actually I met somebody who taught me what mindfulness really is, which is about being consciously aware of the thought, acknowledging it, accepting it and letting it go, but being being aware and and really reconnecting with yourself so all this time i've been berating myself going just stop thinking stop thinking it's supposed to be when, when the mind goes in high speed even more then <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah. So, I think, sorry so i was just going to say izzy has asked us a question so how can we overcome the fear of getting out of our comfort zones because sometimes that's what stops us from changing and we become frozen by the fear of failure. Yeah. And what I would say, I mean, the first thing is to acknowledge it and being kind and gentle to oneself. I mean, and I mean, I'm a mindfulness practitioner, but I tell you, I have a lot of, I have, I have a lot of my own moments day and night. <laughs> um, but for me, the first step always starts with first of all acknowledging it and and accepting it and understanding hey that's called being human yeah and but also in the second steps i step i often then say to myself well i am not this emotion and i really literally visually try to see it as something that floats by and yeah. sometimes in that moment, try to redirect my thought on something else. I, it requires practice. But for the for for this question, um, I mean, I'm living, for example, since decades in very different environments and away from home, from my German home base and family and friends. So I'm, I have learned over time to lean into pretty unusual situations and one big, biggest thing I think I have learned and I would give as an advice is the fact of leaning into that what is uncomfortable because in the moment I, it's, it's a saying what I befriend I can transcend what I resist will persist so if there is something I'm fearful of it's not about ignoring the fear but it's sort of playing with it looking at it from different angles and just by doing this um certain the emotional charge of that often dissipates a little bit and out of the sum that what appeared so let's say a little bit the monster there the monster is shrinking and then I have, then I look at it again in a different way, and I make I make another step toward it, and oh, and it slowly and out of a sudden. I mean, I have had this since when was in, What was actually the aspect I was fearful about? That's that's so so true because we um, we do make things really t the unknown, the terrifying, the things that we you know that, that we build out of all out of all proportion, and sometimes we wait until we can see the whole the whole picture the whole answer and yeah I think it was Michael Jordan that said you don't need to see the whole staircase you just need to take the next step because with every step we get a different vantage yeah. point 
don't we? We get we get to see something, and all of a sudden, the big, scary, horrendous monster under the bed was actually just yesterday's discarded teddy that we've forgotten about. And and you kind of, um, you, I've learned in in life that actually you grow through your pain only when you go through your pain. So you've kind of got to to your point, you've got to befriend it. You've got to get in there and go, what's it teaching me? What am I learning? Um, and the other thing that I remind myself of, and I use this with clients all the time, is you've survived 100% of the challenges life's thrown at you so far. That's a pretty good batting average. So trust yourself. <laughs> you've got, you yeah. know, you've got good stock. And another thing also, and this is really backed up by science, is we I think we all underestimate how, I mean, there has been a lot of resilience lately, you know, and more and more and for for good reason. But I think, in fact, we do underestimate how resilient we actually are. And um, the strange thing is we often, again, have to hit a crisis. We, had, we have to hit something bad in order to, in fact, experience this. I think if we become aware of that resource we already have and start to unravel and, and unpack this at an earlier stage you know, and work with it, um, we may be able preventative to actually avoid certain big dramas. You no, know? but I mean that's yeah. just. Uh, oh, no, but I think that's what we've got to get to, isn't it? Because I think sometimes it's. You know, I often realise that I'm not responding to what's happened. I'm responding to what I've made it mean. So what's happened factually is this. What I've made it mean is, that, you know, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. I'm just a disaster. Life's going to get me a problem. And you, know, you pull it back and go, all right, now what actually happened? <laughs> the facts are here. And for me, one of the techniques I've learned is thinking about what advice would I give to somebody I really care about. So, you know, as a as I'll own up, I'm an extremely biased mum. And therefore, I believe as long as my little girl is kind, and she tries her hardest, there's nothing in the world she can't, she can't do, because all you're ever going to do is learn, learn a way to do it or learn a way not to do it next time. (laughs) Um, As long as you do the first two. So I always look at it and go, if this was Scarlett, what advice would I give her? And my advice would be be kind, try your best and give it your best shot, love. And therefore, it's like, well, if that's what I'd say to her, it's what I have to say to myself. But think back to one of your earlier points sometimes the way we talk to ourselves is so harmful isn't it we wouldn't talk to anybody else in the same way and that's um and i'm I'm glad you bring that point up um be it from a mindfulness perspective but i mean there has been so much also studies now the power of really on compassion and kindness self-compassion Dr. Christian Neff, she has done incredible work there um, to really, I mean, we are, it's good that we are very kind to others. Um, but we have to learn to be kind and compassionate to ourselves and feeling good about it. And not, as you said a little bit earlier, not feeling, oh, that's selfish. If I can't be really kind to myself and self-compassionate, I feel it's nearly a duty. Um, it's, I think it's really a duty we have to what ourselves in order also to serve the community and the people around us. So it's so true, and, and thank you. It's so nice that people are seeing your words of wisdom, Renate, and, and seeing the impact that they have because it's it's true. You know, we've got to. 
if we think about how we love and care for others and how we provide them with that support, it's understanding how we do that for ourselves. And one of the things I learned um, being a mum, actually, um, which was very late in life, was I kind of looked at it and went, if I said tomorrow when you get up, you're going to have to learn how to walk or talk or run or jump or skip, you'd be a bit overwhelmed. We'd all be a bit overwhelmed. And yet our most vulnerable, we learn how to do that. So I was like, I wonder why. <laughs> so I started studying my little one and her little friends and realised I think it comes down to three things. So the first is we want to be like everybody else. We don't really want to stand out. We, we, we're social animals. We want to We want to fit in. And the second is we don't really know how to say no and mean it. I mean, even a toddler tantrum eventually runs out of steam. <laughs> if they do, they, they get bored themselves and want to move on. But the third, and perhaps for me, the one that was, was really the most interesting and the one I think we can take forward is if you watch a child learning to walk somewhere around them, there is at least one person going, come on, sweetheart, you can do this. I believe in you. And we give them our belief, we lend it to them and let them borrow it. And that made me realise now, much later on in life, that actually that's something that we can do. It's something that we already do for our friends and our family. We loan them our belief, we tell them that they've got this. We don't do it because we don't care, we do it because we do. And we do believe in them and we do believe that they can do it and we've got their back. And it's how do we start to, through mindfulness, through self-care, become our own belief system as well, isn't it? And, and demonstrate that same amount of belief and care for us as we do for others. In other words, I would say, how can we become our biggest fan in that way or su supporter and um, in a, in a, in a, in a supportive, supportive way? Though I would just like to say one, you mentioned in the, the first of the third thing is, We all want to fit in. In fact, sometimes I think if we look at that element, I'm wondering if we really want to fit in. Sometimes I think actually in some ways we want to fit out. Because when we, by fitting, fitting out, not sort of alienating ourselves, yeah. but by fitting out in the sense, okay, I'm standing really in my, in my true nature. And to be able to stand in this true nature, mindfulness can really support and help me. Um, but it also activates the resources I have because if I'm so busy with fitting in, I'm overriding, I'm overriding a lot of things. So I just wanted to. Yeah, no, actually that, that is a great point. I suppose what I was meaning by fitting in was more like, you know, in general, you can run, talk and walk. Yeah. And, run. and so I, I want to be able to do those bits, but then, you know, I look at my little girl and her little friends and they're all very, very different, very unique and they don't mind. Um, so they might run in a different way and jump in a different way. They just, it's like, look at my run, look at my jump. Um, so they, they've got that kind of balance, haven't they, of that individualism, um, but equally yeah. they're kind of like, they some of the elements of it, they want to do almost do the same thing, but in their own unique way. And, and we lose some of that as we, get pushed into losing our individualism and not being too out there <laughs> and then I, I, I find a lot of people a lot of my clients and that they're now trying to journey back to themselves they're trying to say actually you know I've spent too long trying to be something I'm not you know I I know certainly I went on that journey I did 
nearly 30 years in corporate life and everybody was so well polished and so well pulled together and had such amazing vocabulary and that kind of really isn't me I'm like a hyperactive puppy dog most of the time um, and it took a long time to just go do you know what this is who I am and I'm it just going to step into that yeah it takes courage yeah, but once you do, and, and it, I've been very fortunate to have met some amazing people like you that can really help me understand how to do more mindfulness, how to get better at self-care, how to overcome my imposter syndrome, how to relearn the labels that I use on myself and the impact they have on how I feel, how I show up, where I am in the world. Um but I see a lot of people now that are back on that journey, aren't they? They're on that journey to go, this is just hard work trying to be somebody else all of the time. And that's why I think it's so, this conversation we are having here, um, I think it's, it's so important that on some level, I mean, it's, I, it has to start in school somewhere. You know? it, has, it has to start with education. It has to... Uh, we are really, I think we are really looking at a cultural, uh, societal sh shift and change you know, to make that happen. Um, I hope, I hope we all together can somehow work towards this. Yeah, but I think that's the, that's the point, isn't it? You know, the more we can have these conversations, the more we can start the debate, put the discussion out there, invite people to have their opinions, and be comfortable that we can have a different opinion. You know, it's okay to disagree, just not to disrespect. I think the point is we have to respect each other's right to have a different opinion and then try and find a way of, of navigating, of seeking to understand. You know, I, I we live in a world of polarity. For every up, there's a down. For every left, there's a right. So once we understand that just because I'm right doesn't make you wrong, just because you're right doesn't make me wrong, we're just viewing things from a slightly different perspective. And we can seek to understand the other perspective. Both of us grow, don't we? We both learn something and, and can move forward. And that's where we're really um, simply becoming aware of this polarity or becoming aware of these discrepancies and different different opinions. For example, this is where also, again, mindfulness is where I'm falling into a state of awareness. Okay. And I'll... And, and, that's the beauty of it. No? It's, it. In a way, if we manage to live mindfully, it makes life, in fact, easier. So we can simplify our life. Which is amazing because I think that's what we, you know, that's what we're trying to do. And Izzy, you're right. You know, I think it does impact us in, in kind of our teens and we regain it later on in life. And Sam, thank you. I'm so glad you're enjoying it. Renate, I could literally chat to you all day, but I'm very conscious of our time. We will have to do this again uh, because yeah. it's always it's a pleasure to be here. Um, everybody <laughs> that is listened in, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Um, and we look forward to next time. Uh, Nat, I hope you and Charlie are enjoying celebrating his birthday. <laughs> and Martin, I look forward to with you um, in the future. And until next time, everybody, take care. Thanks Thank a lot. You. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.